0: Toxic Productivity. It's being talked about more and more and more, but if you want a solution to this ever-growing and destructive problem, first you need to know where it comes from. This is episode 28 of the Effective Faith podcast. Toxic Productivity. Where does it come from anyway? My name's Chris Wood and I run Effective Faith, helping you to be more than just productive. At Effective Faith, our aim is to intentionally focus on what matters most, to resist that productivity idol, and to help Christians live effectively for Christ in their everyday work. Toxic productivity, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Now in a previous episode of this podcast, I defined toxic productivity as the desire to be productive at all times, at all costs. It goes beyond that desire really to being a need. Toxic productivity, it's a situation where any aspect of productivity of work or the process by which we go about getting things done, it takes on a significantly greater place in our behaviour and our thinking than it actually warrants. Now this can manifest in a whole multitude of different ways and we'll all have a different understanding of what it means to be productive. So if being productive means being effective with the time and resources we have, using them well and using them to serve a good purpose, then how we define being productive is going to depend on what we see as good. Now i put good in inverted commas there as I don't mean a moral good, although it includes that. I mean what we value, which includes protecting ourselves and others from harm on one side and actively seeking to benefit ourselves and others on the other side. So why do we suffer from this? Well, I've got a number of theories. Now, at their core, each one of these stems from a small number of of common sources. But the conclusion I'm coming to is that most of these are actually internal things. They begin within ourselves. And to provide a solution, therefore, it's kind of addressing those that we need to look at. Now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that external factors, they play no role in this, but it occurs to me that these external factors mix with the internal ones to produce the results that we have in view here. And external factors for most of us, they're largely out of our control, at least in the short term. What I mean is this, if you're working for an organization where the work environment is not a good one, you can't easily change the work environment, not quickly. And the success of your endeavour here is not going to be fully in your control, therefore. You could leave and thus change the external factor completely, but those things themselves take time and are not easy to do. But the internal factors, the way we think that I'm going to look at today, they can be addressed, they can be changed. Yes, that's going to take time as well, and it's going to take time to have an impact on us, but you have much more control here and you have much more influence. Ultimately, we behave and think the way that we do because we believe that doing so is going to meet a need that we have or it will protect us from some threat. You see, this is all wrapped up in human nature. I want to stress I'm not a psychologist and so I'm nervous of straying into this field. But that having been said, this is my current thinking on a topic that I'm working on in order to help myself out of a very difficult time of life. And I want to share that with you today. Now, you'll note that the list I'm going to run through uh, mostly contains things from the positive side of fulfilling a need, and then later things from the negative counterpart of protecting us from harm. And for those of you who like this sort of thing, I've organised it as to one of those chiasm things where number one matches with number ten and two with nine and so on and so on. So let's dive right in. Why do we suffer from toxic productivity? Well, number one, because we believe the myth of living stress-free, which is the pursuit of the unobtainable here. David Allen, the productivity guru, famously advocates having a mind like water, and this has been further clarified by him as living a life without stress. Now, I'm not 100% sure this is what he was getting at. The point that he was making was that if you throw a stone into a pond, it creates a ripple effect and splashes, but ultimately the pond has systems and processes to deal with that. So the ripples subside and eventually stop. Much of the app switching, the planning, the replanning that we do comes from this sense of not being fully on top of everything. We want to be stressed, and anxiety free. So we work to capture everything. We work to organize everything. And we work to do this well so that we can keep on top of it all. That's not a bad thing, but when it becomes a need, then it can become toxic and harmful. Being late forgetting an appointment or a task, it becomes such a catastrophe in our heads that we have to be on top of everything all of the time Or we just cannot cope. Let me say living stress-free is completely unobtainable if this is how we're defining it. As mere mortals, we cannot be on top of everything all of the time. So the belief that we should be, and the pursuit of such, can very easily become toxic and harmful. So we move into point two, The need to be needed or to be valuable. This is one that we all often stray into. We have this desire to be liked, to be loved. That's normal and that's good. But where it becomes a problem is if our need, our need is for others to need us, to be valuable to them. It can lead us to ever striving more and more and more to prove our worth to those around us. When it becomes a need, that is inflated above all proportion, then that becomes a major source of stress for us. And I'll conclude this point in number seven down below. But that need flows on to the next need, which is the need to be the best. You see, this is where the competitive drive comes in. And it can also be an extension of the need to be needed, as I said. It's where we begin to feel we will only be valuable and needed if we are the best at something expertise is not a bad thing nor is it a bad thing to want to be a specialist in a specific area nor is competition here innately bad the problems begin when we cannot accept ourselves if we are not the best so we continually strive to be better and better and better and to be seen to be better and better and better And so we live continuously comparing ourselves to everyone around us, continually judging ourselves, and it becomes a need that must be met to the detriment of everything else, the need to be the best. But for some of us, being the best just is not good enough. And that leads to number four, perfectionism. Now, I can think of people that I've known uh, working on tasks, working on projects, working on sermons far, 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 far beyond what was required. Deep into the night, day after day after day, constantly trying to improve their work, polishing it up, trying to make it perfect. But it's never enough. It's also seen in the desire to have the perfect workflow, the perfect productivity system. It has to be perfect in order for us to be stress free. It has to be perfect, so we never miss anything, so we never fail. If only I could solve this problem, we think, then it would be perfect. But here's the point. Perfectionism is hungry for eternity. It will never be satisfied in this earthly world that we live in and inhabit today. And to pursue perfection in the here and now, whilst often touted as a great weakness to have for job interviews... It can be hugely toxic, and that brings us on to point five. Now, I'll say more about this one as I conclude this episode, but point five is the God complex. This is the ultimate extension of perfectionism. Now, I mentioned in the last episode about the stated aim I had for my own productivity system, a comprehensive system with a long-term view that effectively keeps track of everything coming up in varying levels of detail that enables me to clearly and accurately see what I need to do what others need to do in a proactive way without overwhelm with minimal input and management and that does not rely on things being stored in my head and as I said before in trying to set this up I failed and I think the reason for my failure was because I lack the skills necessary to pull it off notably omniscience being all-knowing omnipresence, being everywhere all at once, omnipotence, being able to accomplish anything I conceive, and having perfect foresight, being able to know the future without getting it wrong. In short, I failed because I wasn't God. Number six, fear of the unknown, especially the unknowable. I think the idea of perfectionism often stems from a fear of the unknown. So our system and our workflow has to be perfect so we don't miss anything, forget anything, and so we're able to keep on top of everything. The presentation, for example, needs to be perfect. My calendar always needs to be perfectly up to date. The house that I live in must always be spotless. Every lunch that we eat must always have the perfect balance of nutrition, either for my own health or, if I'm a parent, the lunches that I feed my children must have the perfect balance of nutrition so I can be a perfect parent. Whatever we miss, whatever we forget, whatever we fail at or get wrong, well, that is the thing that could be our downfall, so we believe. So we work hard to ensure that our plans, our proposals, our presentations, our projects, our productivity systems, our parenting, whatever you want to call it, we work hard to make sure that it's perfect because we fear the thing that we miss, the thing that we haven't fully considered, the thing that we get wrong. We fear it. And so we work endlessly to try and account for it and to be prepared for it. We fear it and so we cannot stop thinking about it, and so we cannot rest, we cannot relax. We're always on, we cannot switch off, we cannot let our guard down. The fear of the unknown. Number seven, overvaluing negative inputs. This one has my name written all over it. Our perfectionism and our fear of the unknown can manifest itself by overvaluing negative inputs, whatever they may be. So negative feedback on something, criticism, or even our own mistakes that we notice with the benefit of hindsight, our own judgment on ourselves, these things get overvalued. For me, the reason why is largely obvious. You see, if 99% good is not good enough, then it's the 1% that makes the difference between what's acceptable and what's not good enough. 1% fault, therefore, may as well be 100% as far as I'm concerned. If we fear the unknown, or if we seek perfection, or if we seek to be the best, or if we need to be needed and to be valuable to people, then anything that isn't good, anything that isn't okay, anything that we get wrong, any failure is totally unacceptable. Now, that's an exaggeration. Uh, I'll be honest, I've yet to meet anybody, myself included, who viewed things this way. But the point that I'm trying to make still stands. The negatives get valued way out of proportion compared to the positives. And so because of all of this, the mistakes, the errors, the things that could be better, they end up being the things that we focus on. Because these, after all, are the things that we need to change. The negatives get massively overvalued. And that leads to number eight, the fear of failure. We are afraid to fail. I've often heard it said so many times by so many people that failure is the best teacher, that the most successful people in life are actually the people who have failed most and they've failed and they've tried again and they've failed and they've tried again. And the reason why they're successful is because they kept persevering. But so much so, this is the case that the tagline of a training scheme that I was once involved in was make them fail. The idea being the fear of failure, also known as being risk averse, is the biggest killer of our potential. Now, our need to always be productive can be fueled by this fear of failure. And where does that fear take us the fear of man, number nine, or more specifically, rejection by man. That's where this fear takes us. We fear failure because we fear rejection. Fear of man really boils down to our need for acceptance, or as stated above, our need to be valued and needed. See, the flip side of that is the fear of rejection, a fear of having no place. So we work, We strive, we continue to tweak, to tinker our systems. We do so to be noticed and noticeable at work, at home, across the board. To be seen and to be known as valuable. All to avoid that devastating thing of being cast aside by the very people we're desperate for the acknowledgement and approval of. We fear rejection, so we strive to be better and better and better to avoid that. And then number 10 is kind of the flip side of point one, stress-adrenaline addiction. You see, whereas some of us work and strive in pursuit of that mythical stress-free life, others of us are addicted to stress because of the adrenaline rush that it gives. Addicted to being busy. Now, it can tie into all of the other things I've said to a degree. As a side point... One of the most tragic scenarios is where this addiction to being busy, it just leads us into a life of busy work. I mean, a situation of being always busy, but never productive. Always adding things to list after list after list after list, but never really the right things. And I've worked with people before, and I'm sure this is true of me at times as well, but I've worked with people before, worked closely with them, where they were always busy, 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 but I still can't work out what they were actually doing with their time. How did they use it? You see, the busyness, it makes us feel really important. It gives us that sense of significance that we crave, but it's a false sense. Those are the reasons that I'm thinking through at the moment as to where this toxic productivity actually comes from. The things that fuel the need to constantly be getting things done that fuel a continual search for ever more efficient and thorough ways of tracking everything. Things that prevent us from switching off, prevent us from truly resting and relaxing. Things that, if we don't figure out how to stop them, can very easily lead to burnout, exhaustion and depression. But more on that in the next episode. Now, at this point, I always want to ask the question, what is the heart of the matter? Well, at least as far as my experience goes, it's the point that was in the middle of all of this. Number five, it's having some kind of a God complex. It's an inability to come to terms with and accept our own weaknesses and limitations. A desire to exert control over my environment and circumstances caused by a fear of anything that is out of my control. And it's driven by fear that if we can't be all things, all at once to all people, then we're somehow not good enough, not worth it. And we one day be found out. We have to be always on, have to be always operating at peak efficiency. We can't make any mistakes. And so weakness, limitations, we cannot tolerate them. Now, I wonder if any of that resonates with you. This isn't about blame. This isn't about beating ourselves up, which we're all prone to do. Now, I know plenty of people for whom the fear and the need for control of things are very much learned behaviours, taught to them by trauma. But this isn't about blaming other people either. It's about recognising the problem that we're facing today and seeking to change it if we can, to find a better way. Now, I'll explain in more detail as I conclude this mini-series why blame and guilt is not helpful here and it's not needed here. And I'll also look at how change is possible and why change is possible. It's a difficult topic. I'm genuinely aiming to be helpful. And it would really be useful if people would comment their own thoughts on this matter, both in support of mine or to disagree with anything that I've said, especially areas where I've communicated it badly. I'm doing this to try and help us find a better way. And I think some of the big problems that we face with toxic productivity actually come from our own inability to accept our weaknesses and limitations and that's what we're going to look at as we start to conclude this series over the next couple of episodes now if you found this helpful uh, and you're watching on youtube please do hit the like button please do share this with other people drop your own thoughts in the comments whether you're listening to this or whether you're on youtube You can drop me an email, effectivefaith15.58 at gmail.com to share your comments and thoughts as well. And please do uh, tune in and we'll see you on the the next episode where we're going to think about the cost of toxic productivity.